Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here, and welcome once again to another episode of Don the Stat. Round two is now behind us. The Dons sit third on the ladder at two and nil, and we've got a huge game coming up against the Saints this Saturday night to chat through it all. I'm joined by my co-host once again, Ian Hume. Hume, how's things, mate? Jono, I'm flying. COVID free is only one week until school holidays, and the Bombers are undefeated. Can't ask for much more. How are you going? Yeah, really good, mate. I'm also COVID free. Not that I've had it, but I'm <laughs> I'm certainly free of it. Uh, uh, dreaming uh, that I had school holidays, but uh, don't have that luxury. But yeah, no, I'm going well, mate. As I said last week, last always just that little bit extra better when your footy team's winning. And I'm genuinely looking forward to to Saturday night with more with more excitement and anticipation than I've had in a long time. Maybe. Um, uh, you know, besides Anzac Day games, for the obvious, I, I can't remember being this up and about for a, a home and away game in a in a long, long time, mate. So yeah, I'm really excited to get to the G on Saturday night. Yeah, I think it's going to be an absolute cracker, and I think we've got a really good chance of winning and wrecking the Saints' 150th birthday party. Yeah, well, we had ours. Uh, you know, the, the Blues rained on our parade last year, uh, so it'd be nice to you know we had a lot more to celebrate, didn't we, than, than the Saints do? So. Um, yeah, let, let's hope we can do the same to them. And, and I think more than that, it's, you know, two teams in form. Who'd have thought it? Uh, you know, 3-0, you, you know, really does help set up your season. You know, I don't think either team has aspirations of playing deep into September or anything like that, but it, it really will add a lot of confidence to to the team that can win. And, and two new coaches with new game styles that are showing early signs of helping to improve their respective teams. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to, to really be intrigued by and look forward to in this one. Yeah, I agree. And if we win, you know, the Saints have plenty of spoons to mix some commiseration drinks, but not many cups to drink it out of. So that'll be a fun night for them if that's the way it plays out. Uh, Before we get started, once again, I'd like to say thanks to our new patrons who this week are Andrew Armstrong and Stuart Butterworth. Really appreciate the support. If you are interested in joining the Patreon, you can find a link in the description of the episode. Right, let's get into it. So, as always, let's start by looking back at last week's result with Essendon running out 28-point winners over the Suns. We'll look at our predictions as to what Essendon need to do in order to win the game. So, the first prediction was going head-to-head in the midfield rather than tagging. We were hoping that Caldwell feel, sorry, we were hoping that Caldwell's midfield minutes would increase and ensure that he and Setterfield were waxing that defensive midfielder position. Now, Caldwell only attended one. It does still seem like they're working him into the season following injury. And while his disposal numbers aren't high, he is having some very high impact possessions and, and moments in game. So still definitely worth having him in the side, but hopefully we do see those numbers improve. As to the midfield in terms of the centre bounces, they only both sides only really use four centre square midfielders. So for Essendon, Setterfield attended 90% of the bounces, um, as well as Merritt, whilst Parrish attended 66 and Shield 50%. Whilst for Gold Coast, they had Miller at 93%, Rowell at 90, Anderson at 76, and then Swallow at 33. So probably the advantage there comes from the fact that Shield and Parrish have slightly less attendances across the game than Anderson. It seems like Gold Coast really only trusted their top three, whereas we were comfortable running the four through then. And that sort of played out in the quarter, the fourth quarter, which we saw Essendon run away with the game. Uh, Parrish had the second most metres gained in quarter four. Um, and between the four of those midfielders for Essendon, they had 12 inside 50s, as opposed to Gold Coast only having four for the quarter from those midfielders. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, like we said last week, I, I really do want to see Caldwell increase his midfield minutes. He, he played as a half forward last week and he, he kind of ran around as an extra midfielder for most of the game, sort of just sitting outside the contest at stoppages and then making that decision to either get involved at the contest, uh, apply pressure or or be part of sort of a chain or, or a link-up player. And, you know, there, there's a real pro and con to that. The pro is obviously that it gives you a plus one in and around the contest. We know how physical he is and how clean he is. So it really helped us out there. And it certainly did help to apply pressure on their midfielders and make it harder for them to clear the contest cleanly. The con, though, is that it did give the Suns a, a plus one behind the ball. And I felt at times in the first half, it stifled our ball use a little bit. We, we seemed to be able to work our way through it. In the second half, we got you know we got some quicker looks through the the middle of the ground, uh, but yeah, in the in the first half, I, I wasn't really sure whether it was giving us a benefit or not. I think we got a little bit lucky that the Suns didn't really take advantage of it. They used uh, young Euland, you know, I think he's in his second or third game as often as that loose player. He got a couple of intercept marks in the first half, but probably didn't have the experience to really hurt us. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how. Caldwell's role changes over the coming weeks and whether we do see him play more and more as a midfielder as he gets his midfield minutes up. We know he had that injury pre-season. He didn't do any contested work until the practice matches started. So, you know, maybe from this week onwards, we'll start seeing him um, evolve into a bit more of a contested midfielder. Mm. And obviously one of the big developments of the first couple of games has been just how good Will Setterfield has been. Uh, probably, I think it's his two highest rated games uh, for his career, if you go by sort of ranking points, uh, have been for these two games for Essendon. How did you see his role in the side? Yeah, I think people have forgotten a little bit just how well he finished the season as well. There's been a lot of um, conversation about how he wasn't in Carlton's best 22, and and he probably wasn't, but he was playing the last few games, and he did play predominantly as a center square midfielder. Um, so... And played some good footy too against some, you know, good opposition. I think he's, yeah, he did the bulk of that defensive midfield work, didn't he? So, you know, he was on mostly Miller, but it did evolve during the game. Um, Whoever was in the more offensive position at the stoppage. And I think it's the best balance I've seen in an Essendon midfield in a long, long time. and, And he's had a big impact on that. Rarely, whether we had the ball or the Suns, did we did we see that problem that we had last year where two or three mids were getting drawn to the same contest? And, yeah, I do think Setterfield's having a big impact on that. I think he's helping our other mids to elevate their game, but I think they're also helping to to elevate his game too. So, you know, two weeks in, we're seeing him be a better midfielder spreading from the contest than maybe he's been known for. And then Shield and Parrish and Merritt have added more defence and selflessness to their game. So... Uh, yeah, I think it's working really, really well. And then through both, you know, Caldwell as a spare mid, but also Setterfield in that defensive role, what we did really well was we didn't stop their mids getting the ball, but we stopped their influence at it. So took Miller, uh, you know, one of the best midfielders in the competition. He had 31 disposals, but he went at only 61% effectiveness. Noah Anderson had 25 at 68%. Raul had 22 at 54%. Swallow had 14 at 57%. Meanwhile, our mids had, you know, similar numbers, a little bit more of the ball than they did, but at much better efficiency when they had it. So Merritt had 31 at 80%, Parrish had 30 at 80%, Setterfield 28 at 78%, and Shield 27 at 81%. So a real stark difference in the respective team's midfielders to be able to use the ball well, and I think that speaks a lot to the pressure that our midfielders are able to put onto theirs. 
Mm. And speaking of those midfielders, another thing we were focused on was winning the clearances and contested ball. They were stats that the Gold Coast had won in round one, despite that heavy loss to the Swans. Now, Essendon were down six in clearances overall, although they did split the centre clearances, but won the contested possession by three. And probably even more surprisingly in that was they won the tackle count by 18 when Gold Coast, you, you would expect, given such a contested side, would have done quite well at that stat. How did you see that play out? Yeah, I think the, the pressure at the contest really did help to to limit their effectiveness, particularly from centre clearances. Meanwhile, because we were sort of better balanced and there were a number of times where they won first possession, but our pressure won the ball back off them. And then we were really quick to move from defence to offence. And in the end, it was three goals, three behinds to one goal, two from centre clearances in our favour. They did get the better of us from stoppages. They they scored five goals, four to our three goals, two. The silver lining there, though, is we didn't concede a goal from a stoppage in our defensive 50, which is something that has hurt us in the past, particularly late in quarters, weren't they? Like We, we had our hearts sunk a lot last year by conceding goals in our defensive 50 uh, from stoppages in our defensive 50. So, yeah, I, I think that part of our game is working really well. Durham, for the most part, has has been coming from a wing and playing as an extra midfielder at those defensive stoppages and having an influence. So, yeah, I think overall a bit of work to do from stoppages and limiting scores from there, but centre clearances I think worked really, really well and, and uh, you know, all in all it was a, a really effective part of our game. Hmm. And finally, the last two points which sort of relate to each other and that was intercepts as a backup to that centre contest, which we we talked about how that was how the Swans managed to control the game the previous week. And then pre- into that pressure on their rebound players who were prone to errors. Uh, in terms of intercepts, Essendon had four more intercept possessions than Gold Coast. And Essendon scored nine goals, five from intercept, compared with three goals, eight for the Suns. So the Suns were a bit wasteful when they did get the ball on intercept. But even then, it's 14 scoring shots to 11 from intercept. That's a good uh, margin there in terms of uh, dominance in that area. And then pressure on their rebound players, players we particularly focused on Constable, who had double uh, figure errors last week. Now, he only had four from 16 disposals. Long had three from 13 and Weller three from 18. Those are their rebounders. So, they Gold Coast were much more disciplined with their disposal. Uh, but even then, we were able to take better advantage once they did make an error and we created that intercept possession. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, a tale of two cities. I'll, I'll get to the numbers in a second. Um, it's hard to to use data to support this, but to the eye, it seems to me that we're getting much better at transitioning from attack to defence and then vice versa. Uh, we seem to be a lot more switched on and, and moving from one to the other a lot more seamlessly. Hawthorne transitioned in, in round one from our forward 50 to their own 18 times. Uh, we went one better this week against the Suns. They they went from our forward 50 into their own forward 50 17 times. So, you know, it got a lot a little bit better against a, a, a better opposition than we played in round one. So that's a tick there. They did score more, though. They scored four goals, three from, uh, you know, coast to coast, let's call it, uh, compared to two goals, one the week before. But again, a better team. They had, you know, marking forwards that Hawthorne didn't have. So you would expect they were able to score a little bit more. And, and we certainly weren't blown out of the park in in that regard. So, uh, you know, four goals from coast to coast or for, from transitions, you know, n- not the end of the world. It's a pretty good outcome, but still some work to do. Conversely, though, that pressure that we were able to put on their half-back line, we scored five goals, one from uh, four half turnovers in round one 
So where we've won the ball back in our own half of the ground, it was four goals for this week. So one less goal, but two extra scoring shots than we had the week before. So I think our ability to put pressure on their rebounding defenders and, and their defense as a whole, I think is a really big tick. And, and that showed on the scoreboard with those four goals for. And I reckon if we went back to the timestamp, it, it, it felt to me that that run on that we got late in the game, a lot of that was built about uh, around us being able to win the, the ball back in our own half of the ground. Mm, so a lot of positives to come out of that Gold Coast game. Before we move off it, there's been a lot of conjecture as to Harry Jones' role in the side, and many have been calling for him to be dropped, especially with Voss performing so well in the VFL. He only had seven disposals and four marks on the weekend without hitting the scoreboard, uh, but Brad Scott did come out and backed him in as having played a key role. How do you see what Jones has brought to the side on the weekend? Is it enough to keep him in the side going forward? Yeah, I think firstly, I'm really excited by the prospects of Patrick Voss, as I expect most Essendon fans are. It's been a quite a long time since we've had that big, bulky key forward that can hit packs and be really physical, and, and he obviously converts really well as well. So I'm keen to see him at AFL level. I do think we need to remember that he's played very, very, very little football over the last three years. You know, he played half a dozen or so games, uh, maybe a few more than that, uh, in the VFL last year, and, and really didn't play much footy in the two years before that, you know, given that there were lockdowns and the like. So, uh, and and he's had some injury concerns himself. So I think we can afford to be a little bit more patient with him. And I think we we need to be mindful that even though Harry Jones is a player that's been injured, he does have a base of fitness and athleticism that Voss doesn't have. So they don't do the same things and we can't expect the same things from them. I think first, firstly, I, I, watching the replay, I watched Harry Jones really closely. Uh, to me, he only got outmarked by his direct opponent twice. One of those, he did genuinely run under the ball, which is something that he does do and he, and he needs to get better at, uh, and then got outmarked from behind. The other was a kick forward from Shield, where uh, Harry was you know, sort of trying to drag Collins away from Davey and the kick actually landed in between Jones and Davey and it made it easy for Collins to sort of change direction and intercept Mark. So it wasn't really his fault. Uh, Brad Scott's you know, sort of said repeatedly that that this is about system and not individuals. He, he made reference to the fact that in round one, Perkins got the end of, of a few. In round two, it was Langford. Uh, but what Jones is doing is playing a big role in, in that system that Brad Scott's talking about. To me, on Sunday, his job wasn't to be the target. And I think that's clear when you hear what Brad Scott said in his press conference. And he wasn't prompted. He wasn't asked about Harry Jones. It was something that he said off his own bat. And it's also clear by the fact that he's been picked again this week. We've got a number of small and medium forwards that are really good over their head and, and really good at ground level. That's our strength now, which is you know funny. We've gone from having no small forwards to having almost exclusively small forwards. But they are better than you would normally expect above head. And, and I'm talking mainly of Menzi and Davey here. Both have the ability to be a one-on-one marketing target and trouble a lot of small defenders. And we've seen that already in the first week. Sorry, the first two weeks. Conversely, against the Suns, Harry Jones had a matchup on one of the best key defenders in the competition. You know, Sam Collins is, uh, you know, if he wasn't playing for the Gold Coast and he was playing for, you know, Collingwood or or Geelong or the like, he'd be talked about in in all Australian contention. He's a very, very good one-on-one defender and he reads the play very well. His job was really to take him away from dangerous position, uh, positions on the ground and allow Langford, Menzi, Davey, uh, Perkins, etc., to operate one-on-one as often as possible. And you're not going to 
take a lot of marks or kick a lot of goals when you your job is to actually lead away from where the ball's going to go. Uh, but that's what Jones spent a lot of Sunday doing. And, and I don't think that's by accident. I, I think, uh, you know, people that, that perhaps aren't fans of the way he goes about it or don't think that there's there's much to his game can probably argue or try to argue that well, he doesn't doesn't read the game well or he doesn't know where to run. That's not the case. I'm I'm really confident that that he was he had a role that by design was to make sure that we had as he left as many one on ones and as much space behind him as possible to give our our other forwards the opportunity to compete. What he also does really, really well is he chases, he, he chases and he puts on pressure. We've already spoken about Caldwell playing up as an extra midfielder and the Suns having a spare behind the ball. Jones being able to apply that level of pressure was crucial to our ability to cause forward half turnovers. Only Parrish said a field of merit had more pressure acts for the game. So, you know, he was often outnumbered. He often had to go from chase to chase and and he did that really, really well and and our our results and also you know his his data speaks for itself in in the level of pressure that he was able to provide two games in mate we're averaging the sixth most marks in the AFL we scored 100 points in both games and that's without Peter Wright and Jake Stringer uh, our our two best forwards so it, it's working what we what we're doing is working and and I'm confident that but part of that is because Harry Jones and our other forwards are playing a role in in enabling us to have as many one-on-one contests as possible. And when we do need to go long to a contest, him and others are getting involved in making sure we bring the ball to the ground and and allow our small forwards to be effective that way. Very comprehensive there. I think he's going to get the time to work into the season. As good as Voss has been, he's an inside 50 player at the moment, whereas you sort of said Jones provides that option around the ground and that chase and tackling pressure that Voss might not be able to provide. And we're kicking big scores without Jones being a big scoreboard impact. And so until that stops, you'd say he has a place in the side. Yeah, I think that's spot on, mate. You you said it a a lot more succinctly than I did. (laughs) So... Another thing that has been popping up in your Twitter reviews, and hopefully people are checking those out, they're fantastic looks, in-depth looks at the game as a whole. You've been talking about Essendon wanting to make the ground big. Can you explain to the listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, I do have a tendency to get caught in vernacular, so uh, apologies for that. And if everyone, if anyone sees me doing it, by all means, call me out and, and ask me what I mean. But yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It just basically means that we're trying to create a lot more space when we've got the ball, and we're doing that in a few ways. And I think the one to think about, if you can, you know, close your eyes, unless you're driving your car listening to this, definitely don't close your eyes. But um, think about the goal that Nick Martin kicked last week. So that's the one where Draper ended up in a one-on-one against Waller and sort of don't argue him and then handballed over the top to Nick Martin and and Nick Martin sort of balked and, and snapped on his right what we're trying to do is keep a, a forward deep, either as an anchor, so someone who's like planted there and, and doesn't really move, or running back with the ball or ahead of the ball movement. So in the Nick, Nick uh, Martin example, Draper was in the middle of the ground and he pushed really, really hard to, um, you know, from a long way away to get to the goal square. So rather than him sort of coming at the ball kick at the ball carrier who was at half back at the time and trying to be an option in that part of the ground, he's thinking two or three kicks ahead and he's pushing hard to the square. So we're, we're stretching out the ground that way. Jones and Phillips had led up the ground. So they were sort of on the wing and got involved there. 
And then Davian Perkins led in behind and and they led to a similar part of the ground, sort of, you know, that 50 metre area, 60 metres from goal, but on different angles. Uh, so we're just adding layers to our target. And what we've done, instead of everyone coming up, having a big contest on the wing, you know, trying to lock it down or then looking up and there's no one to go to, what we've done is we've spread the Gold Coast defence over 80 metres of the ground and li- limiting their ability also to bunch up or to intercept. And then it gives us layers of targets, either, you know, short, medium or long. Um, It's what enables the likes of Zach Merritt to be creative um, in, you know, kicking on angles and the like, because we've got those, yeah, layers, as I mentioned. And then it's also creating lots of one-on-ones as well, which, you know, is working to our advantage because we do have some guys who can mark one-on-one really, really well, uh, as well as, um, you know, uh, compete really well on the ground if the ball does come to ground. The other thing it's doing, is it's creating space for our defenders and mids to come from behind. Uh, so we've got the guys ahead of the contest spreading out the ground, but it's creating space for guys to come from behind. And and what you'll see, what you would have seen last week a number of times, is someone like Jake Kelly, who's not normally known for getting involved in ball movement and offense. He actually came up the ground a number of times on 60, 70, 80 meters, 80 meter runs and got the footy 70 or 80 meters out from our goal because that space is opening up for him to be able to to run into. The other thing that we're doing as part of that is we're we're taking the space when it's given to us. And, and, you know, taking the space is another thing that I've mentioned a number of times. And again, it's a bit of vernacular, but, uh, you know, think of the way that McGrath pretty much just runs at the opposition defender or the opposition zone. And he's really willing them to come at him to create space behind that defender for someone else to move into. Uh, so we're doing it that way. McGrath, Redmond, you know, guys that like to run and carry, they're, they're being quite brave and, and trying to drag an opposition defender towards them or an opposition midfielder and then creating overlap that way. And then the last bit is that we're seeing the likes of Zerk Thatcher and, and Jake Kelly use those short forward kicks. Last year they were sideways kicks or backwards kicks or another sideways kick and another backwards kick. This time we're seeing, you know, short forward kicks and they're happening really, really quickly. So if if the space opens up for it, those guys are, are taking that really, really quickly. And then, you know, last we're seeing that forward handball from our midfielders instead of, you know, backwards. And, and we're really only going backwards if it does allow us to switch or open something up. So, yeah, look, Matt, it's a, it's a sample size of two, but our ball movement is looking a lot better than it was last year. And it's off the back of, you know, two things, I think, making the ground really big, as, as big as we can to create space and lots of one-on-ones. And then also to to take space when it's given to us, uh, take forward space or territory when it's given to us by you know moving the ball forward either by those short kicks, those handballs, or by running towards the opposition zone. Thanks for that. That's made it a lot clearer for me, and hopefully it has for the listeners to the show. Um, and I think it's going to be a big thing for this week's game, and it's going to come up when we do our preview for the Saints, given the way that they play. Speaking of the Saints, uh, as always, we start by talking about our memories of games against St Kilda. And I put out the request on Twitter for the things that people stood out to people. Uh, I think one of the ones that was most spoken about was the Lights Out game in 1996. And it's quite fitting given what happened at the Gabba last round, although I was disappointed that no one pulled out a point post and set it on fire. Um, You know, you've got to get into the spirit of these things, I would have thought. Uh, Danaher's mark of the year on top of Carlisle in, in 2017. I think I enjoy that as much for Jeremy Howe's reaction at the Brownlow um, as much as the mark itself. 
Uh, Lama Bin Wild went back in history into the 1965 grand final. Uh, the Essendon defeated St Kilda in and Ted Fordham's seven goals. Uh, Silvertop Hurley mentioned the four Danaher brothers game in 1990. And then many mentioned Rewalt missing after the siren in 2009 to give Essendon the win. That ended the Saints winning streak one short of Essendon's winning streak from 2000. Uh, that's probably the game that sticks out most to me against the Saints, especially considering the circumstances for each side going into it. Essendon needed to win that game to be a hope of making the finals that year, which they confirmed the following week against Hawthorne. What about you? What are the ones that stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously wasn't around for the 65 grand final, but all of those ones that were mentioned uh, stood out. I remember actually going into the change rooms after the lights out game and, and seeing, uh, you know, back in the days when players still enjoyed a cigarette. So there were lots of cigarette lighters going around to, because even the, you know, the change room lights and, and the like went out. So it was pitch black in uh, down there. Uh, so I, I do remember that. Uh, I remember going out to Moorabbin for the Danaher game and, and that was a, a pretty incredible moment to see that happen. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll have three Davies or, or maybe even four Davies in a few years' time to to contend with that. Uh, it probably wasn't that memorable at the time, maybe more in hindsight, but uh, given what he means to the club, but Hurdy obviously made his debut in 1992 against the Saints. But the one that stands out to me the most is is a game in 1995 at Princess Park where it poured. It, it, I, I don't think I've been to the footy in that much rain ever and uh, not a lot of um, shelter out at Princess Park. So I was out in the rain with a poncho and got drowned. But we beat them by 116 points and I haven't seen a team play wet weather footy at that standard ever. Um, you know, not up to that point and, and not since. It was it was pretty remarkable. Uh, it, it, we kind of looked like we were just playing with a dry ball. It was amazing. Uh, and then, yeah, I've got a bit of a family connection to the Saints. My great-grandfather uh, played a couple of games to St Kilda in the uh, – yeah, just pre-World War One. Uh he played a lot of footy for Paran in the VFA and a couple of games for the Saints and unfortunately sort of came back from the war with injuries and, and wasn't able to resume his VFL career after that. But my mum's side of the family are all Saints fans. So uh, I, I certainly don't have a soft spot. My dad's side of the family, the, the Essen fans, all made sure that, that you know, having a second favourite team wasn't part of what we did. But uh, I certainly was, you know, I... I I got to a lot of St Kilda games and if Essen wasn't in finals and they were on the odd occasion, I, I got to those. And uh, yeah, it was sort of around St Kilda stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I, no doubt my grandparents will be watching down and, and my mum as well will be watching this week. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll have our, our standard inter-family rivalry. Uh, but the other one mate, that, that didn't get a mention, I don't think on Twitter uh, and you haven't brought up either. I'm pretty sure Fletch kicked a barrel from, I don't know, 70 or 80 on, on the run at Marvel against the Saints. Yeah, when you brought this up, I went looking for it and it's in the the highlight reel of uh, Fletch's barrels. I think the club put out a few years ago. Um, I think it's the first one in that collection. So always good to see Fletcher kick a bomb. Like that. And yeah, uh, as is now becoming tradition, listen out to the end of the episode to see what clip I've added there from Essendon Saints history. Well, look, let's look at the Saints and what they did last year. It was really a tale of two halves of the year for the Saints. They started the season eight and three and were in the top four and, and everyone was talking them up as a, as a finals chance and maybe even pushing for a sneaky grand final spot. But they had a three-win, eight-loss run home, which saw them finish in 10th spot, still with a healthy percentage of 110%. 
And most of that was came about because of their defense. So they're seventh for points against, but 15th for points for. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about how Ross Lyons added a, a strong defensive edge to the Saints. It seems that they still had quite a strong defensive edge last season going by their points against. They did have some good wins. They they defeated Fremantle away. Uh, Richmond, uh, Geelong's probably the biggest win for them for the season. And then a win over Carlton. If you look at them currently this year, 2-0 like us with a slightly better percentage of 171. They're currently the best defensive side in terms of points conceded. Both wins, they've probably had more impressive wins than we have. They've been against finalists from last year, although both Fremantle and the Bulldogs are performing below expectations. They have played both their games at Marvel, and so it'll be interesting to see how their defensive structures hold up on the larger MCG. I think that's going to be really crucial to the outcome of the game. We look at the stats. Uh, last year, the Saints were 12th for inside 50 differentials, so they were uh, conceding more inside 50s than they were generating. They were seventh for tackles, eighth for clearances, sixth for rebound 50s, seventh for contested and uncontested possession differential, and 12th for interceptual differential. So not outstanding in anything, but not die either. If we consider where those stats are, Currently this year, they're seventh for inside 50s, ninth for tackles, fifth for clearances, ninth for rebound 50s, fifth for contested possessions, and 13th for uncontested possessions, and 14th for interceptor differential. So not a huge difference there from their stats from last year and their stats to this year. So there does seem to be a bit of a pep in the step for the players, and they've obviously got a lot of belief with Ross Lyon coming in, and that's helping them but a lot of the basics seem to have been there from last year for the Saints. A few of the list changes, uh, Geary, Hanbury, and Ryder have retired whilst Ben Long was traded to Gold Coast. Uh, neither Geary or Hanbury were a factor last year. Uh, Long did play 19 games and Ryder 12. So they are uh, some loss given what they performed last year. Uh, the key ins are Philippou at pick 10, uh, Zane Cordy is a free agent and Liam Stocker and Anthony Caminiti as supplementary selection uh, players, uh, particularly those last three, the supplementary players, given St Kilda's injury woes, they have played a key role so far this year in their two wins. Yeah, you touched on a couple of interesting points there, mate. Not not a lot has changed really when you look at the numbers. Again, we're only two weeks in. Uh, I think the MCG does add an interesting dynamic, as you mentioned. You know, the, the dimensions between Marvel and the MCG aren't starkly different, but the MCG is is a bit wider, so there is a bit more space for them to have to defend and for us to be able to get our game going uh, when we do have the ball. So I, I think that adds a, an interesting layer and we do have the benefit of having played there in round one, of course, uh, whereas they haven't. Uh, and then, you know, Ryder not being there and having to rely on Cordy as their second Ruckman, I think is a is a big change for them and, and something that, I, you know, could be a little bit of a weakness for them and, and something we might be able to exploit this week, albeit, you know, we'll have a look at selection in a sec. And then you, you touched on injuries as well. They do have a, a pretty horrendous injury list, don't they? Uh, you know, Max King's their, their number one key forward. He's not there. He played every game last year, I think. Uh, Membry had a really good game against us. He, he likes us, Membry, doesn't he? He's, he's played, I feel like he always kicks a three or a four um, against us. And they also put him behind the ball for a bit last year, didn't they? And, and sort of got in the way of our momentum and then steals their, you know, their heart and soul, um, uh, you know, midfielder and, and a really important player. He sort of carries that midfield for them. So him being out uh, hurts them as well. Zach Jones isn't there. I'm 
I'm one of a few that isn't actually a big believer in Zach Jones. I, I, I don't rate him as, as much as others. Jack Billings is not there. He's a really good player. McKenzie's out as well. So, you know, they're two top goal kickers, their best midfielder, um, uh, you know, and, and a couple of others not there. Um, but yeah, it, it, no excuses for us, I think, mate. No, I think – and one thing that really only just occurred to me was Paddy Ryder, who spent the last few years at Kilda and have fair idea of – the strengths and weaknesses of their players is now back inside our tent. So I'm sure, you know, even though he's not technically on the coaching staff, uh, Brad Scott and and the and the coaches have probably asked him a few pointed questions about what to expect with the Saints there. Yeah, I actually did listen to Brad Scott's press conference today, which I, I don't tend to do a lot of, but uh, he said that his point was that, you know, 98% of what an opposition team does is there to see, you know, you watch enough of them and you break it down and, and you kind of pick it up. But, you know, what Paddy Ryder gives us is that 2%. And, you know, in what's probably going to be a pretty hard-fought contest, that 2% might be enough to to get us an extra goal or two or save a goal or two, and, and that could make a big difference. Mm. Well, you mentioned last time against the Saints when we were talking about the Saints outs, and it was one of Essendon's best wins for the seasons, one of the few high points. Uh, Essendon, 15-17, 107, defeated St Kilda, 11-6-72 at Marvel Stadium in, in round 14. I think it was our first game after the bye that year. Uh, Mason Redmond with 31 disposals and Zach Merritt, 26, led the way. Uh, Wright kicked four, while Stringer, Jones, Draper and Guelphy all kicked two. For St Kilda, Sinclair had 31 disposals, uh, but wasn't as effective as he could be. Most of his possessions came really deep in the back line. Uh, Gresham had 28, was their probably best midfielder. He also kicked three goals. He had quite a big game, Gresham, and Higgins and Billings both kicked two each. Yeah, there was real outrage that week, wasn't there, at the selection table. From memory, I'm pretty sure we we dropped Zach Reid and, and there was a lot of concern. How are we going to man up? both King and Ryder, but the reality was Ryder, Paddy Ryder wasn't playing a lot of time forward. He was sort of ruck or bench and and we we brought Ham in and went for an extra running player and, and it worked really well. We just ran them off their feet. Guelphie went to Sinclair and impeded his impact. You know, from memory, I haven't looked at the the numbers, but he would have taken a lot of the kick-ins that night. You know, we scored 17 behind, so a lot of his disposals would have come from there. Um, and... And yeah, we we really just won the game because we were able to outrun and outwork them, and and it was you know one of the rare occasions that we left the footy really happy last year. Uh, but yeah, two very differently coached teams in twenty twenty three. So um, yeah, I don't think we can take too much out of that game last year. No, as you say, two very different sides. And talking about selection, let's look at the teams. And for once, we're actually going to be talking about a completed side. Uh, no, not a Sunday game this time. It's a Saturday night. Uh, so for St Kilda, uh, in comes Jimmy Webster. Uh, he He's come back quicker from injury than expected. He was on the injury list for the couple of weeks uh, last time I looked when I was preparing the show. So seems like they've managed to get him back early. Uh, out for them goes Steele and Patton. Uh, Steele with a collarbone and Patton omitted. Uh, last week's sub, Marcus Windhager, he's come into their starting 22. So that's where the difference is there. The emergencies are Patton, Bytel, Sharman, and Tom Campbell. So Steele is obviously the massive out for them, both as a player and a leader. And with all their injuries, you do wonder whether it's the straw that finally breaks the camel's back for them. Uh, for me, Patton was a surprise. Given uh, Just looking at the stats, he seemed to be effective as an interceptor. So I was a su- su- little surprised to see him omitted. 
Yeah, Windhager, as you mentioned, was their sub last week. And, uh, you know, he's like for like, isn't he? In terms of style for Steele, he's a, a hard, sort of bigger body contested mid. He's, he's certainly not at the the level of football that Steele's at just yet, but he's a, a really promising, developing young player for them. And then I, I think the, the Jimmy Webster one, you know, he's a, a medium-sized defender. He's not all that different in profile to Patton, but he is probably a better lockdown defender. So I think uh, they'll be mindful of the fact that we, you know, they, they would have had a sense that Stringer was likely to come back into the team. You know, Langford kicked five last week. Perkins can be dangerous. So I reckon they would have just wanted a bit more sort of defensive grit down there. And, and he he's one that can give them a little bit of that. Mm. And for Essendon then, so in comes Jake Stringer for his first game of the season and Sam Wiedemann returns after missing round two. Uh, out goes Brandon Zirk Thatcher with that rolled ankle, hopefully just for a week. Uh, Phillips has been omitted and then Guelphie has gone from being the sub to not even an emergency, which is really interesting. Uh, Essendon's emergencies are Snelling, Hind, Phillips and Gladwin. I'm sorry, I mean Baldwin. Uh if there's any week for Zerk to miss, though, I think it's probably not too bad this week, given the Saints' lack of tall forwards. Uh, we've A lot of people have been talking about how to get certain players back into the side, and I think Phillips probably ended up being the obvious one to get Wiedemann back into the side. Well, that's going to put a lot onto Draper. It is great to have Stringer back, obviously, based on the VFL. It looks like he's ready to go. Um, and that's just another Ross issue Ross Lyon will have to worry about in planning. I guess the big shock then is Guelphie's omission. He, he looked quite good kicking two goals coming on late in the game. Uh, what did you think about that? Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't an emergency. Uh, I, I would have thought that he would have been likely to be sub again. I guess they want to get a full game into him and, and maybe we'll see a bit of that happen over the year that, that we won't have you know, the same guy sub multiple weeks in a row. Uh, but it also means that if there is a late change, especially with the VFL playing on Sunday, we don't need to hold someone over. So no one's going to miss out on a game. I, I would have thought that he would have been in an emergency in case there was a, a late change. Um, I, I suspect Phillips might actually be managed rather than omitted. Uh, I thought he, you know, I, I do genuinely think he had a really good game and, and a big influence last week, but there were times where he looked like he was labouring. Um, he hasn't done a huge amount of training. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I wonder whether maybe they just felt that this was a good week to to manage him. I, I haven't seen the VFL team, so I don't know if he's been picked there. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll wait and see on that. Um, and for those that aren't sure, uh, that wasn't Humey with a, a twitch there. Um, the VFL commentator took to calling Kane Baldwin, uh, Kane Bladwin last week, which was, uh, which was quite amusing. So, um, yeah, I think my... My likely sub, I, I guess, will be between Snelling and Hyde, won't it? I, I doubt they're going to go Phillips or Baldwin as a, a taller player. Um, uh, yeah, it'll either be one of those two. And I think it's a bit of a toss of the coin. Um, Hyde gives you pace. And, you know, he, he's played forward for St Kilda. Um, he's obviously an ex-Saints player. So maybe, you know, they, they might bring him in to, to add something, given there might be a bit of extra motivation there. You can also play in the back line and, and pinch hit on a wing. Snelling gives you a bit of grit and... Um, and energy and can probably pitch it in and around the midfield coming up from half forward. So, you know, they, they have different strengths. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess it will be one of those two, but I'm, I'm really not sure. Yeah, I guess it depends who they see as the seventh midfielder this week. Uh, obviously, it was D'Ambrosio last week playing that seventh midfielder with Langford going forward after round one. Do they roll Heppel back into that role, which he played you know, partly for the last couple of years, or do does Langford go back to the role that they they really saw him in 
going into the season. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, by midfielder there, mate. I assume you mean defender. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it does um, does go a long way to deciding who they they go as sub. I mean, Dan Brozio played started on a wing last week, didn't he? But then joined in that backline rotation. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a big call, isn't it, to move Langford back after he's just kicked five goals? But Stringer comes in, Wiedemann comes in. It might just be what we have to do. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they def- decide on that seventh defender first. I suspect they probably already have, and then that dictates who they choose as sub. Yeah. Well, look, let's look at the Saints' last game. And as we said, they've had an impressive start to the season, and last week was no exception with a 14-8-92 win over the Bulldogs, who kicked 5-11-41. Uh, the Saints won the clearances. This is against the best clearance side of the last couple of years in the Bulldogs, uh, they won the clearances overall 39-36 and extended clearances 12-7. to So really impressive from the Saints there. They also out-tackled the Dogs 74-61 to and 16-8 to inside their forward 50. Um, they generated 20 more inside forward 50s despite turning the ball over more. So they were more effective when they did have the ball in hand. The standout players, Sinclair with 33 disposals, 534 metres gained and nine intercept possessions. Uh, he generated the majority possession on the back half of the wing. And as I mentioned in, a, in the game against the Saints last time, most of his possessions came in the back half. So he was getting into some really dangerous positions against the Bulldogs. And that's something we'll have to consider going up against them this week. Uh, Steele, who's obviously an out, had 29 disposals and he he generated a third of their centre clearances. So he's obviously a big out for that reason. Uh, they'll have Marshall, Ross and Crouch who had 17 stoppage clearances between them. And I would expect that Win Hager moves into that rotation for them there. Marshall sort of matched English. Marshall got on top uh, in centre clearances. He had three to zero and in contested possessions, 15 to eight. But otherwise the sats were even. So big matchup for Draper this week. And with so many of their forward options out, they've really spread the goal-kicking load. That's seven individual goal-kickers in each of their first two games. Uh, Mitch Owens is the leading goal-kicker for them with five goals across the opening rounds. Yeah, good summary, mate. The the What was interesting in that game, you know, St Kilda play like for most of it, what we've we've now come St Kilda to expect. They really did lock down the middle of the ground and and prevented the Bulldogs to get too much flow from their game. The Dogs only kicked five goals for for the match. They didn't kick straight, five goals, 11. But they kicked four of those five goals in the second quarter and got a run on and, and got the game back within, you know, under two goals. And I think there's a bit of a lesson there for it. It was the one part of the game where they held their forwards a bit more and they they did make the ground big to, to you know, reuse that term. And they didn't allow the likes of Battle or Wilkie to drop off and intercept in that part of the game. And then for one reason or another, uh, you know, they they went away from it and then it allowed St Kilda to get back to doing what, you know, what they like to do and, um, and you know, really close it down and, and control the footy. So I, I think there's a big lesson in there for us and how we need to approach this game. Hmm. So let's look into the tactics then. As you say, they've been very impressive defensively in the first couple of weeks, which is to be expected from a Ross Lyon coach side. What are the sort of things that Essendon need to do in order to win this game? Yeah, a lot of a lot has been talked about St Kilda's pressure and defensive efforts, but they when they don't have the ball, but they also defend with the ball in hand. And and by that I mean they're prepared to to chip and mark and control possession. They don't have those big key tall forwards at the moment to to kick to. So, you know, they're playing a bit of the old if we've got it, they don't kind of adage. Uh 
you know, they're second in the AFL for kicks, they're third for handballs, second for total disposals, and third for marks. So there's a lot of, you know, controlling the ball and and not and playing keepings off. But despite that, they're they're only thirteenth for total points. So they're they're getting a lot of the footy, but they're not necessarily scoring a lot of it. That said, they you know they still still call, scored fourteen goals and and kicked ninety two points on the weekend. So you know that was a pretty competitive score in in most games of footy. But yeah, overall they're they're really controlling possession. I think the first thing that we need to make sure we do is we keep our structure behind the ball. It's really important that we stay patient and don't get sucked out of position. Don't get caught coming up at them. What we need to do instead of our defenders. Uh, when they when St Kilda has the ball, rather than our defenders coming at them in a wave, we need to make sure that our forwards are coming up the ground and defending the middle of the ground. Let our our midfielders and our forwards put the pressure on through the middle of the ground, rather than our halfbacks getting caught too up. When when they're forward of the centre, I'm, I'm speaking of here. Obviously, if we're if we've got the ball or, or the ball's in contest in in our front half, then we want our defence coming up and, and making um, it harder for them to get out. But but when they're controlling possession, let them do that. Um, but get our midfit sorry, get our, our forwards and our mids involved in in providing that pressure and just keep our structure behind the ball because they're they're going to be looking for little pockets to to chip the ball into. Hmm. So that's when the Saints have the ball. What about when Essendon have control of the ball? Yeah, well, it goes back to something I've mentioned a couple of times now, and, and that is we want to make the ground big when we we have the ball. So I think we do that by keeping six forwards. I wouldn't be rolling Caldwell or, or anyone else up as an extra midfielder this week. If St Kilda do it with one of their half forwards, which they do do from time to time, then I'm happy to do it. Um, and, and so, you know, give us a plus one in our back half because we know if we can get Redman or Ridley or McGrath free, then they're going to do some real damage. Uh, and we certainly don't want to allow them to have an extra at the contest. And they may look to do that. I guess we steal out. That's probably something that they will look to do um, is give themselves a, a plus one. But if they don't do that, let's just back our mids to, you know, one-on-one to be able to beat their mids at the contest and, and do what they've proven they can do over the first two weeks of this season. They've got three really good intercepting defenders. Wilkie, Jack Sinclair, who was All-Australian last year. I think Wilkie was in the uh, the squad of 40 and then Josh Battle as well. Sinclair's the real dangerous one because he can run and carry and, and use it really well. But Wilkie and, and Battle help to set him up. Uh, so if we allow them to have a loose defender, it really does play into that into their hands. So keep our six forwards wherever we can. Um, but beyond that, St Kilda's pressure game relies on their half forwards and their half backs basically joining hands in the middle of the ground. They're fourth in the AFL uh, for tackles and they're sixth for causing the opposition to turn the ball over. So, you know, they're doing it really effectively. Uh, they want to make the ground small. So they they want to keep it in close. They want to keep their their half forwards and their half backs in and around the contest and, and create chaos in through the middle of the ground, win the ball back and then chip and mark, chip and mark, chip and mark. So by making the ground big, we make that, harder we create more one-on-ones around the ground and and you know we need to back ourselves to win more contests than they do so keeping six forwards keeping forwards deep or pushing back deep when we win the ball so it's that nick martin goal from last week example where draper ran deep from you know the middle of the ground that kind of play sets us up really well and, and it allows us to do that and allows us to create space for everybody else to work into when we got the ball Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we've we've talked a lot about keeping the ground big and versus keeping the ground small. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think whichever side gets it on their terms in that area is probably going to win the game. 
With our final thought then, as we always finish with one of these, uh, it's always a struggle for me to come up with this and I usually think of it in the last minute before we go live. Uh, but finish this thought for me, Jono. Is the Draper-Marshall matchup the most important one to win in this game in terms of one-on-ones? Yeah, I think it is, mate. Uh, Marshall's a really, really good ruckman. St Kilda are at 17th for hitouts overall, but don't be um, fooled into that. Marshall's 11th in the in the entire AFL, and he's eighth for hitouts to advantage. So when he does get his hand on it, good things tends to happen. He's not getting much help from Cordy. Uh, so you know that that's the drop off from 11th to 17th is when Cordy comes into the ruck. So yeah. It, with an undermanned midfield and an undermanned forward line, Marshall is the real key to them giving good use to their midfielders. And for us, we know how big an influence Sammy Draper has on our energy. Um, on you know, he he can play as an extra midfielder when the ball gets on the ground, uh, and then he gets the crowd up and about, doesn't it? And you know, I'm tipping this is going to be even though it's the Saints home game, it's their big night, it's their 150th celebration. Uh, if you're a Don fan and you're listening to this, get to the game, even though it's our away game. And, and you know, let's make sure that we've got many, many more supporters there than they do. And we make it feel like an Essendon home game, but he gets the crowd up and about, doesn't he? So, um, so yeah, I, I think it is the most important matchup. And if Draper can break even, then I think it's a big win for us. If Draper can win the matchup, then I think it's a huge win for us. Yeah. I think for Draper this season, his biggest impact has been as a forward threat in, in but he obviously didn't kick any goals against Gold Coast but I think he took at least three inside 50 marks on the weekend he had, he had that Nick Martin goal that you talked about there where he was the, the final disposal before Martin kicked the goal so been really dangerous forward and Phillips has allowed him to do that so with Phillips out this week I don't think he's going to have the same opportunity to do that which means he's going to need to get effective around the ground we know that Marshall is really effective around the ground. So it's a really big challenge for Draper to, at the very least, match him. I think his ability to be a hit-up target coming out of defensive 50 is going to be a key part of whether or not he can have a massive impact this game. Because as I said, I don't think he's going to get forward like he has. They're not going to be wanting to run Sam Wiedemann through the middle as much as they've been running Phillips through it. So really important that he's dangerous around the ground as opposed to being dangerous forward, which he's been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, good summary, mate. It's a it's a fascinating matchup. It it yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. Absolutely. Well, look, that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, thanks again for all the support, all the reviews, all the comments, uh, all the interactions on Twitter. We love it. Um, keep it up. And yeah, any final thoughts from you, Johnny? No, we've had a lot of new listeners the last couple of weeks, haven't we, mate? So thank you to everyone who's jumped on board and, and everyone who's shared it with their friends and, and family and other Don's fans. We we really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, this is a two-way thing. Uh, you know, we, we do this because we love to do it, but also because we love the interaction. So if you do have questions or things that you're not sure about or you're spotting things that we haven't talked about, uh, yeah, email us at donthestat at gmail.com or, or look us up on Twitter. Our, our Twitter handles will be in the show notes. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we, uh, that's the bit I think that we both get the most pleasure out of is, is hearing and connecting and chatting to other Dons fans about footy. So, uh, yeah, please, thanks for all your support. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to Saturday night. Go Dons. Absolutely. Go Dons. And Matty Lloyd, will he load up with the left? He's only to kick two inside 450. Lower numbers back for secure. He's going to Dustin. He's got the top. He's got plenty of carry. It's going. It's going. It's gone. 
is unbelievable stuff. Isn't it great to see a torpedo on the run, Liam? Dustin Fletcher, they're hard enough leveling that free kick. They're hard enough. We're not sure of the free kick, maybe a bit untoward after he got rid of the ball there from Stevie Mill, but this play by Fletcher. To understand how hard that is to do, they're hard enough to kick standing still from full back. To be able to hit one on the run was brilliant by Dustin Fletcher.